Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our next guest is. Hello and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers and entertainers in the corporate and events world and we find out what makes them tick. My name's Michael Pope and I'm here, of course, with Carson White from Leading Voice. Carson, who is our next guest? Our next guest is a CEO, entrepreneur, military veteran and, believe it or not, an Australian Survivor contestant. He has seen the best and worst humanity has to offer. He served for 16 years in the Australian military, including six years with the SAS, the world's toughest and best fighting force. As a troop commander in charge of 30 elite soldiers, his role was to lead combat missions deep behind enemy lines. And now he helps people and organisations develop powerful teams and leaders based on his experience in special ops. He's got an Ivy League MBA, was a McKinsey and Company consultant, and is the CEO and fashion designer of an award-winning luxury brand. Here to tell us about his new camouflage designer outfit range, please welcome our next guest, Mark Wales. Thanks for having us. How are you going? I'm good, but you look fabulous in that in that <laughs> range. That is awesome. Can you get a bag and choose to match what you've got? You yeah. can. We're actually. I want to do some bags as well. So you know, <laughs> fingers crossed, we can get some more of the bags going. I've never seen camouflage high heels before. That's got to go take off in New York next year, I'm sure. We're going to do sneakers and high heels, the the whole (laughs) commute. Very good. Very good. So welcome, Mark. It's it's a bit hard to know where to start with you because your life reads like an Australian Survivor series. You would have had so many experiences. As a young kid growing up, when was your focus on on the military? I was in about grade nine. I remember seeing a photograph of... Uh, the British SAS doing hostage recovery in the streets of London. It was a Princess Gate siege in about 1980. When I saw the photos of what they were doing, I thought, wow, that's, that's the job I want. And so from that point on, I kind of dedicated my life to getting to the military and, and going to SAS selection, which took me about 11 years from when I saw the photograph to when I finally got in. But uh, it was worth the effort because once I was in, I had a long career in the SAS, um, saw a lot of tours of duty, went to Afghanistan and East Timor and Iraq. And um, it was it was everything I hoped it would be. There were some really hard moments, but it was uh, a really stunning uh, career and I couldn't have joined at a better time, I don't think. And then I kind of handed that, I, I switched careers. I was about 32 years old, um, wanted to go into business. So I applied for a US business school and went over there and that's kind of how I found my way into the those companies and and my own startup you had that desire when you were growing up to join the army and get involved in the SES how was the dreaming about it and the idea of doing it compared to with what the reality of the actual job involved well the actually getting in was obviously it's hard the selection course is really hard and I kind of I lost 16 kilos in three weeks just trying to hang on to dear life and and get through to the end which I did Um, and the training and everything was great, but I, I got it. The shock of combat was what really kind of um, affected me. That was the first time I thought, oh, this is a very serious um, business. This can really, uh, really escalate quickly. And the consequences of it are far more far reaching than I kind of realized. Let's talk about that. It's a tragedy, the number of suicides from veterans who have left the services. You yourself obviously exited with some stresses, but you tackled yours head on. Talk to us about that. Yeah, the transition out of the military is kind of tricky because you don't really belong to anyone. You, you leave the army, which is an institution, and you you go to kind of find your way in the corporate sector. 
Um, so it's a kind of a high risk period. There's an elevated uh, elevated risk of unemployment and self-harm and substance abuse. We're just seeing higher numbers for people that are leaving the military, especially if they've uh, been war fighting. And so I applied to go to a full-time MBA and that was two years of just study. And I think I really needed that. That was a chance to reflect a lot on what had happened. And I'd had, from my first tour of duty in 2007, I'd had mental illness kind of from that tour, a lot of trauma. So when I came home, I had to really work hard on recovery from that. And that's that's kind of where I started talking to companies about mental health, recovery, how to deal with it. Um, initially, when I first started talking to companies, I thought it would be you know, leadership and execution. But in fact, the mental health part was a really, there was a really big demand for it. And, and in hindsight, when I think to my time in McKinsey and Company, workers are under more stress than they've ever been under. Mm, so it, it yeah. makes sense that there's a lot of interest from companies in resilience and, and mental health and wellness. Reading through your um, your bio, you said you uh, rigorously researched the fundamentals of neurological science. So tell us just about what the research involved and what were the key learnings that you got out of that? Yeah, the, the key learnings I got from it was that when you're exposed to traumas or burnout, like you're pulling a very ancient part of your mind into play. It's the amygdala controls all your fight and flight mechanisms. It's, it's one of the oldest parts of our brain and it's designed to just help you survive. And while you're doing that, if you're under stress continuously, you're actually relegating the executive functioning component of your brain, like your neocortex. That's kind of underutilized. So your empathy, your logic, your reasoning, all those things can atrophy if you're under pressure or under stress for extended periods. And war, war fighting is a really clear example of, of how that happens. And there is a way you can rebuild it. You can rebuild your mind. You can find balance again. And when I was working with a neuroscientist in the army, he just gave me some really basic tips. He goes, look, you got to, you have to rest well, seven to nine hours sleep a night. I'm going to show you a program, like a 20 minute thing you can do before bed. And it's a routine that'll help you sleep. And he talked about diet and exercise and the role they play in um, maintaining good physical and mental health. Cause really it's, it's a system. You, you don't have separate physical and mental health. We're talking about a system in people and, and you have to treat it all as one. Mm. I imagine it's those kind of techniques and, and more that you bring into the speaking space, but we'll get to shortly. But before we leave this PTSD period that you're in, were there individuals or organizations that were particularly helpful to you in your recovery? It was difficult because there was a culture around not talking about this, especially being male, especially being in the army. So it was, it was not something I shared widely. It was um, something I kind of uh, I dealt with myself and then I had to work with psych professionals to try and improve myself. So the people that were best at helping me were the medical professionals that have experience in this. So the psychiatrists and the psychologists. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that that's changing? You said that's what it was for you. Do you feel guys and girls coming out of the military now are faced similarly with this idea of let's not talk about it? It's gotten better. It's gotten better because we, it's spoken about far more broadly. There's mental health initiatives. There's Movember and all these different ones that actually are trying to destigmatize it, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a long road. It's, it's just a natural response to, uh, you know, a threatening situation. And it just, it's perfectly normal if your mind functions unusually after that for a while. It's, it's a defense mechanism. Uh, Mark, you're obviously uh, mentioned in the introduction, you're an Australian survivor in 2017. 
just out of curiosity, I'm, I'm not that interested in actually, you know, you being on the show for, from the uh, from the television sort. Of I am because I might apply next year. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, well, I'll sponsor your application, Michael. Um, sorry, sorry. Why are you both laughing at the thought of me going on Australian Survivor? Oh, it's a jungle out there, mate. It's right. Yeah, yeah no, it looks cold, mate. Um, hey, I've but, done kids' TV. I know the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> going on that show and, and getting through some of those experiences they put you through, did it rekindle any of the stuff when you were back, actually, you know, in one of your tour of duties? Yeah. Yeah, it did. It was like it was a, a return to the wild and the simplicity of life where all you have is the rising sun and food and water each day and you're not thinking about your bills and what you're doing next year. It's just a very simple way to live and actually believe it or not a war zone is simpler than day-to-day life in the west <laughs> yeah it's, it's unusual but it is it's actually more straightforward so we've had a man who's had a career in the military you've left that and got an mba and you're now working in the corporate world when did the idea of standing up in front of a bunch of people and and telling them your thoughts and your experiences come about well my wife samantha gash was into corporate speaking when i uh, left first met her sorry so she said, you know, you've got a great story. You should really try and share this with a few people. And she actually got me in front of one of the major banks for a talk. And I was pretty terrible. I didn't really understand that when you're doing presentations, it's not about you. It's about what the audience can take from yes. your story and apply to their everyday life to, to either have a better life or be a better performer or a better family person. That's the crux of speaking. And I think it took me a year or two to understand that. And once I did, I got better at it. I wasn't so worried about me. I was more worried about what I could offer to the audience. And since then, yeah, I've just kind of built on the on the presentation and tweaked it a bit more towards mental health and, and gotten better at it over time. What's it like having a partner who's also in the speaking game, who I add is also available to be heard on Our Next Guest Is? <laughs> is she standing in the wings saying, speak more slowly, Mark? Yeah, it's competitive. It's competitive. Should we try and should we try and outdo each other? She's got a um performing, she's a performing arts major. So she commands the stage very well. Right. And uh she's probably half my size, but um twice as big on the stage. So she does a really good job. I'll just give you a tip there, Mark. It's one of the things I've been in the industry for 25 years. And one of the things we always say to, to speakers is be yourself. So so yeah. whatever tips and advice she's giving you, mate, just be yourself. Yeah, that is good. Authenticity matters, yeah, right? That's it. Can you expand a bit more on those lessons that you've learned over your, your life so far? What similar issues are there between the battlefield and the boardroom? Well, the, the big one is it's the parallels between human behaviors when you're in groups and trying to achieve an, an objective it's basically the same whether it's sport or politics or the military uh, it relies on goal setting cooperation um, resilience perseverance and the ability to learn and adapt quickly it's the same in every major field and i try and pull those themes out of war fighting i talk a lot about simplicity and planning um, it's important to even in a complex situation, have a really simple plan because they're the, the easiest to execute. Um, and the other thing I talk about is is focus. You really have limited time and resources and assets and people. So you can only choose a couple of things and really focus on those and do those well. Um, we had that issue on the battlefield. We had to narrow the targets we wanted to chase down to one or two things. So that was that was a critical kind of insight. I've seen your videos on markwales.com.au and just on what you're saying, you mentioned or you give the advice to not multitask, just single task. But isn't that a man speaking? Isn't it because we just can't multitask? <laughs> Probably, yeah. I'm making, making excuses for it. But um, I, always, I always found that when I 
really tried to zero in on one or two things, it, it, it I ended up getting the result because it's so hard to see difficult things through to their completion. You've really got to be quite focused, I think, in, for the long haul to, to get it done. Is your experience that people in business try and keep so many balls going in the air at the one time to, I don't know, appease their customers or look impressive or whatever, that they fall over themselves? Yeah, I think people lose sight of what their what their objective is. If every every task you do should support that main objective or that main mission. And so, for example, Disney is really good at this. Their, their kind of main mission is to make people happy. So everything they do in animation or film or you know, amusement parks is all aimed at that one thing. And that, that goal setting is good because the whole organization knows if I'm doing something that's making people happy, if I don't quite know what to do, if I just do that, I'm, I'm achieving a mission. Mm. So I mentioned again in the introduction that uh, you're into a CEO and um, fashion designer. So just tell us a little about Kill Capture and wh- why you started Kill Capture and what are the lessons you learned uh, building that business and how you talk uh, bring those lessons into your talks. I started Kill Capture because I was in the US and I put some money aside to go and get some outerwear. And I realized when I went looking at all the fashion brands, they're pretty much all the same. There wasn't a lot of variation between it. Mm-hmm. And I'd had this idea before about making... Um, an outerwear range that kind of absorbed the values of special forces, which is a focus on, you know, mission first and your team second and, and you third. And I had this plan to kind of bring this to, to the market, which was a fashion brand that really catered to an audience that no one cared about. So I called it kind of a tough luxury segment. The segment doesn't really exist in fashion. And I created a jacket for it at the school fashion show just to test it. And a few people liked it and kind of it grew bit by bit. And I think, the main reason I did it is for storytelling around what it's like to be in those teams and what it's like to be in, in conflict. There are a lot of positive things about it. Um, and, and that was what I was trying to capture. Was it a problem selling the t-shirts? Cause they weigh 10 kilograms each. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not sure that would have been the best thing to go with, but, but expand on what you say about the, the positives in it that you're now bringing to the to speaking stage. Well, that the positives being um, when you serve a cause that's, that's greater than just your own personal interests, it can be really rewarding in life. And it's not the easiest path necessarily, but people that have a really clear sense of mission in life, whether it's to, you know, be a missionary in Africa or to build a a big tech company, people that have those really clear goals can take all the hits necessary to it, to achieve that goal. So it's about, it's about that. It's about serving something bigger than just your own self or your own interests. Can I challenge you on something that uh, I read on your website? Uh, It says that you believe that past experience should never be a limitation to embarking and excelling in something new. But it's it's really hard sometimes, isn't it, to shred our past experience, to ignore the fact that we were burnt once and so maybe we shouldn't go there again. How do you set your mindset so that you can move forward from particularly from a trauma? Yeah, I think the I think giving yourself the space to reflect about what happened is probably the most important part. And for us, we were going back and forward to warfighting so much, we didn't get the chance to reflect on it um, and, and think about everything we'd learned and think about how we want to live our life afterwards. And for me, when I made the decision to switch careers and went to a study institution for two years, I, I got that time and space. And so I think reflection, I think reflection when you face these things is really important. You think back to humans when we when we first were you know, hang around in groups of 30, we experienced incredible traumas, 
but there was a long periods of reflection where they thought about, um, you know, in groups why that had happened and they faced those traumas well. Whereas now in modern society, we don't have that space as much. We just, we go flat out all the time and that's, uh, that space to consider things is, is really important. And that idea of structuring your life around giving yourself some reflection time, is that one of your lessons that you speak from the stage? Yeah, definitely. I try and, and I, I try and frame it around having fun, right? Each year, book something you go and do with your mates. I do a surf trip every year or every second year where we go away for two weeks and we're in Indonesia and it's just surfing and time spent together and not thinking about anything else other than uh, the present. And that's really, it's really healing for me. Do you go in a helicopter and jump down the beach on ropes? I would, yeah, fast rope in, fast <laughs> rope in. That's fantastic. That'll keep the sharks away. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Mark, uh, on your um, on your profile website, you have a number of different speaking topics. Is there one that really stands out for you in the sense that it's one you really like delivering, but also probably has the greatest impact with audience? Yeah, it is. It's called it's called Who Dares Wins, but it, it really goes to the the core of goal setting, failing at something and picking yourself up and going again and what tools you need to be able to do that repeatedly because that's where the success has come from. It's it's picking yourself up after each failure, um, learning from it and, and continuing to execute. So I really try and hammer that piece and I talk a lot about the failures I had in the military that ended up being a blessing in the end because that's where all the learning happened. Why do people fail and why is it so hard to pick oneself up afterwards and get back on? Yeah, I think failure is is much more common than people are willing to talk about because it's not celebrated in society. You know, in the West we celebrate, you know, Steve Jobs and all these people that kind of won and kept winning. When in fact I think the the best insights come from the stories about when people have done something wrong or failed. And so um I, I think it's super common to fail. I think people don't share it often enough. And that's kind of uh, the the angle I try and take when I'm talking. I watched, uh, and one of the videos I watched a little bit of you, Mark, you were talking about your SAS training. And one of the, the key learnings that you got out of that training was how um, how you respond to fear and how that's drilled into you while you're the training. Do you want to just talk a little bit about some lessons out of that? Yeah, I think there was one part I noticed when we we're doing selection where we were given an impossible task and we were constantly failing at it. And we basically had to do continuous push-ups for two hours while covering long periods of ground. It just wasn't possible to do this task. And I could feel myself failing and the stress that puts on you and the stress you put on yourself when you start failing is, is tremendous. And I think a lot of people on the courses had never really failed before. So it was, it was intensely uncomfortable for them and people self-defeated psychologically. A lot of people, can physically do these courses, but they pull themselves off just because psychologically they couldn't um, manage anymore. So just being calm in that and realizing you are going to fail a lot and accepting it, um, I think that's an important step. I think Carson and I are very well experienced with failure. So <laughs> this, this conversation is echoing. You say you've only been on the speaking circuit for, uh, you know, since around 2018, but looking again at your website, markwales.com.au, the, the clients you work with, they're, hit, they're high hitters. NAB, Toyota, Jetstar, BHP, Ray White, it goes on and on and on. What might someone expect when they do book Mark Wales? What, what are you offering? I'm going to give you an authentic conversation around uh, war fighting failure and how to move on and protect yourself and endure in those moments that really aren't positive and we all face them every day workers face them more than we realize so 
I think it just opens up that conversation for people to say, well, if this guy faced it as a soldier, I can certainly face this in the workplace. And it just gives them motivation that they can overcome any obstacle they face in their private life or in the workplace. Is that just a one keynote speech or do you do a, a more immersive kind of experience? Yeah, I do a keynote speech. I've also got a six-part workshop I do over two days, which is centered cool. around execution. And that pulls on some of the lessons I learned in McKinsey as well. So it's kind of a blend between um, military execution as well as best practices from the corporate sector. So that's a fun one. Um, and the other one I did, I, I do like a half day or a full day of team games. So I do the keynote presentation. I talk about all the things you need to do as a team to work well together. And then we actually get to go practice it um, out on the ground. And that's a lot of fun. That's a, always a really good day. Do you get to put the uh, the makeup on with the stripes on the cheeks? We have, you know what? We haven't done that. And I think oh, you just it. give me a really good idea. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to take credit for it if you don't mind. <laughs> no, the boys would love a little bit of stripe on the face. That's a good idea. So, Mark, that's all we've got time for today. But but thank you so much. It's rare to meet someone as one of our guests who has had such an intense experience and then being able to transition, yes, through some difficult times, but clearly you've come out, you know, as a strong individual and you're prepared to be vulnerable and bring those learnings to a greater audience in the hope that we can take some nuggets of gold from that. All the power to you and thanks for your time. No, thanks for having me and love what you're doing with the show. And uh, thanks again, really appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. To open up a conversation with Mark or to book him for your next conference or event, please go to markwales.com.au. That was Our Next Guest Is with Carson White from Leading Voice and your MC, Michael Pope. To hear more of our guests, you can find us on iTunes or simply visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break. <laughs>